Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Welcome back to The Hustle. Super sad week this week losing Prince. I am so bummed. I was a huge fan. I don't want to get too deep into it now because I don't want to take anything away from this week's guest. But we will work on something very specific to Prince in the near future. It felt weird not to say anything. So look out for that. But I love that guy. I have all of his albums. All right. Consider this. You're one of the hottest bands in your area. You can make a good living just gigging around the state. You start building up a very big reputation. You get discovered. You get signed to a new label that's run by a very well-known, powerful guy who's big in the business. Everyone is telling you that your debut album is going to be huge and that the songs are amazing. And it comes out and nothing happens. There's no national tour. There's no radio support. MTV does not catch on a year later. Nothing. And you stick around for a couple of years and then you decide to get on with your life because this band is not happening. And then 15 years later, 25 years later, 35 years later, this groundswell of interest starts to happen around this album and this band that you left for dead back in 1980. That is the story of American Noise, a great, great Cleveland power pop band of the 70s. And this week's guest is the keyboardist for American Noise, George Sipple. This guy has an amazing story. He worked very closely with Eric Carmen for a while. American Noise is just one of those amazing bands that deserves to get discovered. It just didn't happen. He's luckily gone on to have a very successful career as an audio engineer. He tells some very interesting stories about Eric Carmen and about those early days gigging around Cleveland. I love the guy a lot. And I'm really happy that he's successful now, but the American Noise story is a sad one. He called me from his home in Cleveland. I, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen or look into any of what the kind of focus of the podcast is, but I started about a year ago because I wanted to start kind of telling the stories that don't get told of, as often of the people who put out great music that you may or may not know. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't. What do those guys do for the rest of their lives, you know? Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, I, I listened to a few of them, and I, and I, I, I oh, found good. them very entertaining because I you know, living in Cleveland and being Mm-hmm. "Quote unquote home of rock and roll Hall of Fame and all." It's interesting to me what people consider rock and roll, where it came from. I went to a talk. It was unfortunate because it was billed as stories from behind the scenes and Cleveland rock and roll past, and it was going to be held by the CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I thought this could be really cool. And yeah, well, it kind of turned out to be an advertisement for the Rock Hall. It really, oh no, really? Yeah, I mean there was really no stories. Yeah, he was afraid to tell any, yeah. you know, probably yeah. legally, you know. Probably. So it was unfortunate, you know. Because I, I, yeah. I, I'm the same way. I, I, I enjoy, you know, having been in, been fortunate enough to be in the business so long, and and still involved. Yeah, I just love hearing what yeah. other people did and how they survived. I know. You know, selfishly for me, I want to honor those artists. You know, the big names, they get told they're loved all the time, constantly. But I want the little guys to know that they did something that matters too, you know, because they may not go through their lives feeling that way, and they deserve to. And so, uh, selfishly for me, this was a platform that I created to, one, hear your story, and two, tell you that I love you. You know what I mean? That's well, kind of, and it's fortunate that's kind of what me, it is. It's fortunate for me that after my wife and my dog, everything else is a bonus. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, well, good. Okay. I know you had mentioned you want to make sure we're going to touch on other things outside of American Noise, which 
that is absolutely one of the keys that I want to talk about because that's the part I think is really interesting is what these people do after that publicly perceived big moment. But I want to dive into American Noise too. I want to know the story there and then how that led to other things and then how that led to where you are now. I, I assume that's okay? Oh, okay, whatever. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. a written book, no problem. Okay, awesome. Good, I'll just kick it off. So, George, it's funny how I discovered you. Uh, a few months ago, and it's been killing me because I cannot remember where I read this, but I just remember seeing a headline somewhere or a soundbite or a clip or whatever that said, American Noise, the great lost guitar album. And I immediately wrote that down. And I thought, uh, uh, that sounds like my cup of tea. i got to find out what that is and what they're talking about. You probably know American Noise is not that easy to find. I don't collect vinyl on purpose because I don't trust myself that I wouldn't just spend every penny I have on records constantly. So I had to find some things on YouTube. I had to find some things on blogs. I had to have friends send me things. So eventually I get the American Noise album. And, of course, it's amazing. And, of course, I know what they're talking about. But I'm curious for you personally, being a member of that band and hearing a label like that given to you 35 years after the fact, is a compliment like that, is it nice? Is it a backhanded compliment? Is there some bittersweetness to hearing someone say something like that? How do you process you know, praise coming at American Noise 35 years after the fact when it's, there's nothing you can do about it? Wow. <laughs> Okay, how many hours did I just do we throw have? too much at you? Oh goodness, sorry. <laughs> wow, that's I get a little enthusiastic sometimes. Quite a question, because I wasn't sure which way you were going with that. I mean, oh, having been the keyboard player in the band, obviously, you know uh, how I would react to that, and also having it happen so many years later. Yeah, American Noise should have happened, and years after the album came out, I've had people from uh, Warner Electra you know, that worked there at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we dropped the ball on that. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> so easy so for them you to know, say, that, isn't it? That, that's nice of you to, tell, to admit that. You know, and, uh, right. Do you mind if I take your address and have somebody come over and beat you up tonight? No you know? kidding, no kidding. I mean, it, it's like, yeah, you know, I kind of, it, it's a shame because as young guys, you know, you kind of cash in your life. Mm -hmm. to, to make something yeah. happen. And we did. I mean, you know, musicians are not, uh, you know, financially so right. secure. We did invest a lot in, into making that album. The band was formed specifically as a band that was going to get a record contract. Really? Period. Yeah, we did a couple copy tunes when we played shows, mm. but we played concerts. I mean, when we yeah. played, we had a warm-up act, and we came on stage, and it was a great act to watch. We had uh, even uh, when you're just starting out. I mean, you're clearly oh, a yeah. ready, oh, yeah. ready-made band. You are ready to go out of the box, oh, killing yeah. it just well, like every other band that's doing, you know, stuff almost not as good as you are. But you're fully formed. You have an opener. You don't, you don't like work your way up through the ranks. You just no, come no, right no. out. We were fortunate in the sense of reputation. You know, it kind of goes back to Cleveland during the, I'd say, the, the 60s and 70s and partially into the 80s when any night of the week you could go out and hear a rock band and the place mm -hmm. was packed. And that never happens anymore. I mean, that's, no, that's a reality that people, I'm in my early 40s, that's barely a reality for me and almost not existent for anyone younger than me. 
Right. But when I was talking to Rich Spina, he had a similar situation with Love Affair. They could make a living just gigging around Cleveland, around the Ohio kind of Midwest Absolutely. area, Absolutely. making a decent living doing that. That's yeah. unfathomable now. Oh, yeah. We did make a living doing that. I mean, we were dedicated musicians. I mean, although I must admit, three of the guys in the band, uh, we spent the summer landscaping together. Ah, so, <laughs> uh, yes. So we, we, we did have a few part-time things going on. Sure, of but course. The band had Craig and Bruce Balzer, who were the two guitar players, which were brothers, which right uh-huh. off the bat, what a cool thing to have brothers who played together. You know, I mean, yeah. what a strong yeah. union. And they had different styles as well, you know. Craig was, yeah. the, Craig was the main writer in the band yep. and the lead singer. They had played in bands for years and had been very popular in the Cleveland area. So, you know, people knew who, who they were. The drummer, Tommy, was probably the least known at that time. Actually, he runs the School of Rock in Cleveland right now. Does he really? Yeah, uh, that's what he's up to. Oh. Um, yeah, and he so, went on to play with Donny Iris, right? He did I think go I read on to that play somewhere. with Donny Iris and a number of other bands. Excellent oh, good. drummer, Keith Moon style. You know, I mean, oh, killer. Really, killer. really a lot of fun. I was just coming off being Eric Carmen's keyboard player and, and um, you know, doing all by myself. When I was young, I never needed anyone. And making love was just for fun. Those days are gone Living alone I think of all the friends I've known But when I dial the telephone Nobody's home I know I keep interrupting. Forgive me. I want to hear your story, but this brings me to one of my biggest questions. I mean, is that you on the piano on All By Myself? No. The long version, okay. The long version, as you know, has that epic piano solo in the middle of it, and I didn't know if that was you or not. No, that was Eric. I was uh, one of potentially three keyboard players in the band. Uh, It was a fairly large band, the Eric Carmen band. It was, was it seven piece or eight piece? Really? (laughs) Okay. um, because one guitar player played keyboards. Eric played mm. keyboards and guitar. We had a, a designated guitar player. We had a bass player. We had two full drum sets oh, on whoa. stage. Okay. And then I played just keyboards. And, and and I'm not saying just keyboards as if it's a throwaway. <laughs> right. I know what you mean. Well, anyway, so that's where, you know, I had somewhat of a reputation. Mm-hmm. And and so what happened was when this band went on stage, people, you know, there was murmuring of wow, we've got some top Cleveland musicians happening here. some pedigree. And so we would be doing these shows, these these quote-unquote concert dates at clubs. You know, we would draw a good crowd, but plus the band was good. Mm -hmm. You know, probably one of the finest stage acts that I ever worked with. They were Mm -hmm. exciting to watch. You know, there was movement and, 
you know, I mean, it, 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 Tommy with his Who style, you know, his Keith Moon style mm-hmm. of, of, of a flamboyance on the drums, and Craig would run around on stage, and, and I mean, it was really a, a, a quite a dynamite show. We used to do a, a version of Bob O'Reilly where oh, I, I would pick yeah. up one of my keyboards and play it on stage holding it, and then the last song I'd just pick the whole thing up and hold it over my head to really? the note. I mean, it was just like nice. crazy wild, you know. So that's how the band formed. Craig had been working on, you know, he had a four-track recorder, and he had been working on recording these songs and, and putting them together and, and getting the right mix of people. And like I said, I, I actually had just gotten off a, a gig with the Euclid Beach Band. band he gave me his four track machine and he said what can you do with these songs and so i wrote all the keyboard parts you know for the for the demo then all of a sudden it was like wow we made another step this is like really cool but then we needed a more professional demo well i was working in a recording studio as an audio engineer at the time Hmm. and so the whole band came in and re-recorded everything right again to sell knowing that if we got an album deal we would have to record it again. When so, you're hearing those songs, the demo versions even, I mean, there's magic in that American Noise album, you know? I, I believe there was. I, I believe yes. that uh, it is the band that could have been, you know? Yeah. Um, are you, and are you noticing that even through the recordings of these demos, that you're really on to something? I imagine you're, you're starting to sort of get stars in your eyes. Like, oh, this exactly. is big. I, I, yeah. Exactly. I, I was involved with another band at the time, that we were doing the demos of that. And I left that band to join American oh, Noise because okay. I was just that motivated, you know, to, to do this thing. And we were all excited. And I mean, you know, I mean, we weren't necessarily kids. We were sure. you know, mid-20s to 30s. But, I mean, we, right. 
we were excited about it, you know. And it, it became obvious. And, you know, we went to L.A. We had a, um, a management team in L.A. They flew us out there, and they rented uh, a soundstage with lights huh. and the whole bit. And we did, like, you know, four or five, six shows a day for, what? like, two or three people from a record company sitting in Really? And, I mean, full shows. We were dressed. We had the full yeah. stage, the lights, the whole thing. And we barreled it out. I mean, we gave, we sweat at the end of each one of those shows. You know, because it was like, no, we want this that bad. Unfortunately, it, it was very difficult. We finally signed to uh, uh, Planet Records, which was uh, Richard Perry, who was a pr- big-time producer yeah. back then. And we were really probably, I think, one of three acts he had. One of them was the Pointer Sisters and oh. us. And then I, I believe there was nice. someone else, and I don't recall who it was. And they, you know, had us come to L.A., and we actually recorded uh-huh. the album at a place called Rumbo Recorders, which was the Captain and Tennille's new studio. So that, now, that was cool. somewhere in there, Kim Fowley makes an appearance, right? I was not Did I read somewhere that, that was with Okay, because I think he co-wrote Anyone with a Heart. Anyone with a heart could tell Looks like you're broken down again You're always looking for a place in the sun And a lover who will be your friend You didn't interface with Kim Fowley, but Not he at all, factors no. in here somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you are correct. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting. Okay. So let me, I mean, let's go back. So you're, you're back in Cleveland. You're recording. Did you mail the demos out from Cleveland? And that's when Planet Records signed you and brought you to L.A.? No, it was the shows that made them. It was the shows. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. They, so Planet saw, saw the shows. Okay. Right. They saw the shows. They were impressed. And they brought you to L.A., they signed you, though, while you were still in Cleveland. Yes, yes. And you guys, I mean, again, going back, you're, what, six guys, five, six guys thinking, this is our big break. We're going to L.A. We're gonna, we know we've got the songs. We know we've got what we need. This is going to be huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we thought, wow. You know, but, but I think we were also seasoned enough to know that, well, mm, it has to sell now. Yeah. You know? And, well, unfortunately, it would be the, the downfall of signing with Planet was the fact that they were a new label and didn't have yeah. the funds to back us up. Right. And were, so, so were there, there other no labels promotion, in the mix? There was mix? no tour. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, there was nothing. And, yeah. you know, the, the local WIA people, they were great. I, I must say that they were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Our radio station here at WMMS, they couldn't have been Oh, nicer. Yeah. Uh, they Classic used to let us station. come in and take over the studio. We would do an afternoon show. Great. 
You know, nice. I mean, uh, it was the band that should have been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no question yeah. About it. I mean, years later, I had I had a guy from New York call me up from a radio station. I don't know. My last name's Sipple, and there are, there are only a few of us in the country. Sure. So it wasn't that difficult right. to track down. Right. So he called me up, and he said, he says, are you the George Sipple that played on the American Noise album? And I said, well, yeah. He says, is the band still together? And I said, my God. And this was like in the, this was already in the 90s. Oh. Huh. Okay. And the, yeah. American Noise was 88 to 83, 84, in yeah. that genre, you know. And so this guy calls me up. I said, no, I mean, the band broke up long ago. You know, He says, well, would you guys give a thought to getting together and, and doing a show? And, and I said, and I, and I laughed. I said, what are you doing, the old, all geriatric hour? You know, I mean, um, it was like, you know, we, we've... Are you questioning whether there's enough interest for that to sustain a show like that? Because maybe there was. Was well, there? he said in New York they were getting airplay. And and people were going, wow, this is really a great album. But the trouble is, at this point, everybody, we all had lives. Sure, <laughs> you know sure. What I mean, and yeah. and it's difficult at that point to go. Am I going to chance this again? Craig and Bruce had a really great advertising business, and and I was they an did, audio engineer, okay. and 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 okay. I mean, so we were all kind of had moved on. You know, I, I, although we were all kind of, I, I think Tommy still played out, I still played out. Were there other labels in the mix during that time that were wanting to sign you that, in retrospect now, if you had signed to them, maybe your fortunes would have been different? Not that we knew, because okay. we didn't do the negotiation. Yeah. Uh, according to what we had been told, uh, Planet was the one to go with, and that was the only one that was... Um, well, and Richard Perry had a name, right? I mean, he's, oh, no, he's no cut up. You'd think he could get this done. If he wants you, that's... That's a nice vote of confidence, right? That's exactly what we thought. You know, we we did the best we could on the album, and and mm. you know, we, we we I remained in the band about I'd say two and a half years after the album came out. Okay. And I just finally said, guys, you know, you knew this was going to be my last yeah. big shot. Right. And I just I got to move on. I got to get a life. I got to start making some money. Sure. I gotta, sure. I got to survive. I got. <laughs> I think I got another 50 years to hang around, you know. Sure, of course. Um, you know, a couple years later, they put out Statutory Sue. I was looking at the watching them perform it on YouTube, and I didn't see you on there. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know what you look like. I think I've pieced it together, but you weren't listed on the credits on the video. Right. So I assumed you weren't there. Okay, so you had gone by then. So, I mean, during the height, if there was even a height of American Noise, were you going on tour? When you weren't playing locally, were you opening for bigger bands no. across the country? No. No, no we had what? no. So what, what no. was the height of American Noise? What did that even look like? It was local clubs. Uh, you know, really? Throughout northern Ohio. I mean, it, 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 we, we're, we took a major step back to where we were before we did the album. Even that though we were no getting sense. airplay, but we, and we weren't getting anything. I mean, it was like, because you can't, you know, we can only do so much, you know what I mean? And we did. We did what we could. I thought we, I thought we did something that really supported it, you know? Right. And, um, but Planet Records didn't have a plan together that was like, great, we're going to put you out on, you're going to open for The Knack and Cheap Trick and Greg Kinn and all those other great bands that are going around right then that are and the those producers. And those right. I just assumed that yeah. you at least did a tour for your album, and it, it, but then you know it didn't progress from there. No, you just went no. to L.A., recorded it, went back to Cleveland, and kept playing around in bars in the club. And stuff yeah. There. Yeah. It Whoa. Was, it was so I mean, and that's why I only stuck around another two and a half years yeah. because it was yeah. like, no, I, I, you know, I'm 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 turning thirty here, and and you know, I, I, I got to move on. I, I got. Wow. Um, it was it was really a, a sad and slow uh, demise. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it, <laughs> that it, is, was, I, it was. It was, and I we never the, did a reunion either, which was. Really oh, nice. that's, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, so that never happened. <laughs> and now Craig is gone, right? And, and is, any, is anyone else? And Craig, Jerry. And oh, Jerry. yeah, we lost both yeah. of them to cancer. Yeah, uh, a shame. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know why we never did a reunion. It just never, it, it yeah. just never happened. Um, and that album never, as far as I know, is not on CD. So no, it's not never the easiest thing for people to find. They have to crate dig to find that thing. Well, it was, it was a couple of funny things. We did, while we were in L.A. doing the album, well, we actually did a video, uh, uh, which you, you probably saw on YouTube. Take it all and... Running through the night. Running There's through the night, yeah. right? Those were professionally done videos. But, of course, we didn't understand why we were doing this. Right. We had no idea why anyone would do a video. Because at that time, there was no MTV. So what are, you, what are we doing? Why are we doing yeah. this crazy show thing? Wait, I mean, and, and it's like not that the record company didn't have the tools, because they did have a video. I mean, they could have That's gone to MTV crazy. and said, look, play this. That's you know? crazy. 
as you said, this, I, you're segueing perfectly into something I want to ask you a lot about. So this MTV, well, not even MTV, the videos, they're out there. They look great. They look just like what else is out there at the time. But this is pre-MTV. So what's their plan? Are they thinking, I mean, what was the plan then? Uh, did they play like before movies or late at night as like interstitials before no, nothing, a show? Nothing was ever done with them as far as I know. Really? So I mean, do you even know if they ever were played on MTV? I don't believe they were. I, I oh. mean, I'm sure I would have heard had had they been. Sure. I mean, I think they have to pay you if they do. So well, that's I, I what I want to ask you about. about it. Yeah. Um, no, I and and it's funny because I mean we had a, a great management team out there. I mean these were professionals in the industry, and but even our management team, I mean they had put up so much money already, so yeah. they couldn't put up any more money. And we kind of hoped that the record company was going to at least support us, and uh, there was really nothing. And it was, it was you know, it, it was sad. Yeah. It was, it was very sad. Totally a missed opportunity. So uh, I, I think, real quick, let me before I forget this story. Yeah, please. The other thing that that is humorous that happened with the American Noise album is in the movie Pretty in Pink, she uh -huh. ends up in a record store. Uh -huh. And one of the albums she picks up and is looking at is the American Noise. Really? Album. So that was probably our biggest promotion. <laughs> oh, I've seen that movie a million times. I got to go back and watch it again. I'm gonna. I own it. I'll watch it tonight and look some, for your record. Some, that is good news. Somewhere in the rec one of the record store scenes, she's looking at albums, and she pulls uh -huh. this album out, and I, I'm looking at it, going, "Oh my God, that's wow. it! Oh, how cool is that?" You know. Do you know much about that? Because obviously John Hughes is from Chicago, and he was a huge music file. And I, I've always had the impression that he curates any music that is played or appears in his movies very meticulously. Do you know if that was sort of a planned shout-out to you guys? If you didn't know, I'm telling you that it might have been. I don't know if you know that. I, I, no, I, I, I okay. really don't know. I mean, it was a big surprise to all of us. Oh my God! Look yeah, at that. he, that's us. He's you know? a big time music guy, and he, from what my understanding, I don't, obviously don't know him or anything, but he very meticulously selects what's being played, what's being viewed in the background, the posters, the records on the wall, in the kids' bedrooms, all those kinds of things. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised if he knew you and was a fan, and she picked that album up on purpose. Well, that would be complimentary, so, now, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Okay. Now, I think I read there were. Four singles released from that album. Do you know if they got radio play outside again of Ohio? You know, it's funny because as I understood it and as I remember, there were certain cities that tried to get them going. Really? And, and, you know, and Craig did a few phone interviews. You know, they, they, they never made... If there's anyone out there that doesn't understand the fact that Bands normally don't just make it, you know. It's uh -huh, like right, they don't make right. a great album and suddenly they're stars, you know. Right, it kind right. of has to be bought, and mm -hmm. and for lack, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, but there has to be a certain amount of backing, a certain amount of investment. Sure. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, if you don't get support of some, you know, if if in that city that mm -hmm. all of a sudden is playing this song, they're not getting. Like, hey, there's a. Would you guys be interested in doing a concert or blah blah right, blah blah? Right. If there isn't somebody jumping on that, and 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 you know, starting the yeah. promotion, you know, it, and usually it's the label that'll do that. 
you know, and say, hey, look, this is one of our hot groups and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and, you exactly. know, we'd like to do a show. And, oh, exactly. yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have these guys come in and we'll do interviews. And if you don't have people setting that up, then huh. you're, you're not going to become yeah. the local celebs. I just assumed that that stuff happened, but it just didn't take off. But it sounds like it didn't even happen. No, it was just no. put out there with nothing floating yeah. in the wind. John Gorman so from sad. WMMS, God bless him. I mean, he really tried with his affiliations with different different stations and really yeah. within himself, you know, tried to help us out. I mean, he did a lot of great stuff for us, but it just it wasn't strong enough. It, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't going to happen. So, yeah. Oh, that's sad. I wonder if copies of the record even made it outside of Ohio very much. Do you know? Well, I guess one made it to Chicago because it's in Pretty and Pink, <laughs> in the movie, right? Yeah. Um, yep, yeah. Okay. Other than that, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many were pressed. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Man, well, that's too bad. What was going on in the Midwest in the 70s and early 80s that's inspiring all these great bands? The Love Affairs, Off Broadway, Cheap Trick, you guys, what, do you, Raspberries. Do you have a sense of what it is that. Is it some kind of like blue collar mentality? What what's uh, going on I, that's promoting all this great power pop music? Uh three words and it'll sum it all up. Okay. Three two beer. Really? Absolutely. Mm. I and mm. I mean th- this is my opinion and then people got to mm-hmm. argue with me about it. And I and I know in Rich Spina's interview interview mm-hmm. he mentions this as well. He did. Yeah. Um what had happened at that time was we had three two beer, which is a low beer. Basically, I think Bud Light is currently okay. a three point three or three point two beer, but they actually had three two beer. So that when you walked into a club, you showed your ID, and mm-hmm. if you were eighteen to twenty one, you got stamped one color, and if you were over twenty one, you got stamped another color. Mm-hmm. Now at eighteen, you've become a either a college student or drafted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you went out and partied. You know, mm-hmm. it was your big chance to get away from mom and dad and all that kind of stuff. And you, you were in college, and 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 let's let's have fun. Well, in Cleveland, we had a number of clubs that were having bands four and five times a week, mm-hmm. and would pack the houses. Yeah, uh, I played in a band called Magic which became the Eric Carmen band oh, uh, right. in the early 70s. And the Agora, which there was Agora's same company. There was, there was one in Texas and there was one in Atlanta and one in Florida. And he actually, mm-hmm. you know, spread out the, the, the clubs. The Agora, we, we would pack it, you know, three, four hundred, five hundred people on a Wednesday night. You know, and it was mostly the college students ordering pitchers of three two beer and then when the law passed that oh it had to be over 21 drinking alcohol mm-hmm. it, it the clubs and the, the crowds and everything dropped off tremendously interesting uh, i mean uh, huh. the number of great musicians in this area is still here yeah there's Still a number of them, and then the new bands. I I go out to clubs and I hear these bands, but the thing is, they don't pack them in like that because they don't have the support of the eighteen mm-hmm. to the twenty-one year olds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, once you're twenty-one, it's like, well, I think I'll just put my feet up, watch TV, and buy sure. a six-pack. Right. 
it's a different mentality, you know. And, and I think also the advent of all the look at all the things that have happened as far as being able to experience music compared to what they were back then. Yeah. I mean, we we didn't have an MTV or we didn't have videos mm-hmm. happening all the time. There were no concerts on television or anything like True. that because it was a whole different social structure. You know, right. I mean, you had Ozzy and Harriet, you know. I mean, it, you didn't have rock bands. You didn't have the Grammy Awards blasting in your face and things like right. that. Right. Um, it, it, you didn't have um, iTunes. You didn't have, yeah. you know, a, a, a vehicle that you carried in your pocket all the time that could give you music anytime you wanted, yeah. you know, in full fidelity. Yeah. Um, so you had to be proactive you, about yes, you had to a, do something about consuming it. your music, yeah. Exactly. I miss those days. You know, I mean, nowadays, I believe it's really difficult for a band. Totally. I mean, to to get popular because we're spoiled. You know, we see, you know, half-dressed women and and people Mm -hmm. shaking their butts and and, and lighting and explosions and cars and and all this stuff on video. And then a band gets on stage and it's like, so what are you (laughs) going to do to entertain me? Totally. People have moved on culturally from that even being, you know, in the top tier of entertainment experiences that they can take on for themselves. Right. There's, you know what I mean? There's so much competing for our our money that we have to throw around to kind of entertain right. ourselves. I, I, there's a million different ways to watch a TV show now, and there's uh, everything's so expensive, and you don't have to leave your house. And just going down to a club to see a band, no matter how hot they are or local, is just not... It's not rising to the top anymore. So, yeah, you guys got to ride a wave there for a little while, and then it ended, and it's kind of changed. You know, the culture has evolved beyond that, basically. I know. I, I, I was so fortunate to be, you know, I mean, I think it quit. You know, what had happened at that point when, it, when they changed the laws, it was like uh, disco was coming in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 clubs were putting uh, uh, bull riding gizmos mm-hmm. in and playing country music, and yeah, urban uh, cowboy. Uh, there was a whole different atmosphere coming in at that point, and, and it really, you know, and, and and I mean, even Love Affair and the bands that came after the bands I played in, you know, they were having a difficult time with it. You know, it, it, yeah. was, it was tough. Yeah, the ad, like I said again, the advent of of, of music videos and, and right. Um, I mean, right. now it's got it's crazy all the different yeah. places you can get music, and you can hear what you want. Yeah, whenever. Whenever you want it. I'm sure when you performed live with American Noise on July 28, 1980, at the Cleveland Agora, you had no idea that I would be watching this video on my computer today, 35 and a half years later. Isn't that oh, nuts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nuts. Oh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. the, the last time I saw my brother, was kind of on the negative side, but the last time I saw my brother alive was the night uh, that I recorded the Midnight Special with Eric Carmen. Really? And it, it, now I go on YouTube and I can see that show. Isn't that crazy? You know, and it's like, you know, here's, here's this punk kid, you know, 40 years yeah. earlier. It, it's exciting. There you are. Good oh, for you. Uh, isn't that great? It's got to be a blessing. That's a blessing. Oh, it's tremendous. It's absolutely yeah, yeah. tremendous. So yeah, is there a positive side to it? Well, of course right. there is. And, you know, and and it's also changed now as an audio engineer. You know, it, it I, I 
every every band has got the one guy who's got the computer and quote unquote a studio in his home. So there's a lot of experimentation and things like that. Unfortunately, that may be a negative because uh, not having a professional or uh, a an ear that's an outsider, you know, someone yeah. who's not within the band, an engineer or a producer who doesn't play in the band, working with them and saying, you know, that guitar is a little out of tune, or, right, you know, right. that vocal was yeah. a little flat, or, you know, it might be cool to put an acoustic guitar filling right. in this hole, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they don't have that, 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 that extra person, uh, the George Martin, if you will, listening yeah. in. They're creating these things that are good. They, of course, because they did it, think it's really good. But is it good enough to, to sell? Mm-hmm. Is it good enough sure. to draw a, a record company's interest? Is it good enough? Yeah. You know? and, and for some, yeah, it is. But Do you ever point? wonder, I, I mean, the younger generations are pretty savvy, too. Do you, I wonder if they... And I'm not saying right or wrong, but I wonder if they think they would know better than a, I don't know, 60-year-old professional sound engineer. I, um, you know what I mean? Personally, you probably I've face tur- that a lot. I have turned down a number of offers to be a producer for someone because people don't really, A, I don't think they know what a producer is, yeah. really, and B, uh-huh. I don't think they, they would respond, and they don't. I've, I've tried. They, yeah. they don't, when, I, when you know a, a producer runs the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get into a real life situation, and you know, it, he'll go, "You suck. You're mm-hmm. out of here. I'm getting right. a studio now. You're still in the band, but I'm having a studio guy come in and play your parts because you suck." Mm-hmm. And a producer could, would, and does do that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of albums out there that, that you know, <laughs> they didn't cut it, you know. You know, when you're working with a local band and, and, you, and you're going to say, no, man, that, that part sucks. And they, what do you mean? <laughs> right, right. Hey, man, like, what do you mean? What do you know, man? Actually, I have some yeah. credentials. You know? Right, I've been around a while. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, so uh, yeah, I, try, I try not to even get involved in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's just going to end up being you know me against them and yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah I don't want that to happen and and if I sat there and kept my mouth shut well then you know a what did they need me for and b I've suddenly got my name on something that sucks <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you know and so that, that I mean oh go ahead I'm sorry well then something that doesn't represent my point of view as a sure. producer of course. Know? Yeah, you've got a resume that you've quality controlled up to this point, and you don't want any kind of weak links on there. So transitioning away from American Noise, that comes to an end, 82, 83 is when you kind of get fed up. Is it, I mean, for the last 30 years, from what I understand, you've made a living as apparently a pretty successful jingle writer and a producer and sound engineer. Is that right? And you've managed um, to stay in Cleveland the whole time? Exactly, yeah. Wow. Um, what I ended up doing, I uh, ended up managing the largest audio-video facility in Cleveland. Oh, God, the studio did the Daz band, let it whip. Uh-huh.
Um, Love the jazz band. I mean, I used to be, I used to be the the audio engineer who mixed the end. Well, this goes back the NBC Source Radio Show. They had a live oh. radio concert on oh. every week. I mean, I was doing people like Golden Earring and and. Uh, uh, oh. cats and pretenders, and what they would do is it was it was it was such a weird way of doing it. Uh, the truck would go out and record the band live on on two twenty four track machines synced up. Then they'd bring the tapes to me, and the producer would sit there and he'd go, "Okay, you have one song to get the sound together." <laughs> and you wow. know, so I would I would sit there and, and you know, as quickly as I could get forty eight tracks of music or. Depending, you know, some bands where I like Stray Cats was much smaller. Sure. You know, get the get the sound again. They go, okay, hit record, and we hit the two track recorder, and flew. It went. You know that you didn't stop. The tape went. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so if there were mistakes in the mixing or all of a sudden feedback that happened on stage or so, it went on to the two track. But that was that was the cool part. It was a live show. With with you know a little bit of more studio sound you know better better EQ yeah. and 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 I was in an isolated situation, I mean that was one of the cooler things that I got to do. A couple of years later, I I did a session. If you remember years ago, there was a jingle for Ford. Have you driven a Ford lately? Ford needed a longer version that they were going to play in their in in their their shops or stores, and for a meeting. And a corporate meeting. They needed a longer version. They gave me some uh-huh. lyrics and all, and they said, uh, the singer's in California. What can we do? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking, well, at, at that time we had this big 15-foot dish in the front of our studio that was for satellite link-up. What I did was I took a stereo uh, DAT tape, digital audio tape, one track had time code. The other track had an uh, instrumental mix of it. For those people who don't know what time code is, it's basically the chain that links the, 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 the video machine with the audio machine or maybe two audio machines. And I sent that to L.A. They got to the studio. The studio would send me back one track of her voice singing mm-hmm. and then the time code on the other track. And then mm-hmm. the time code would go into my machine, lock up, and I'd be able to hear her voice singing to the music. About six months later, Stevie Wonder did this amazing cross-country session, you know, and I just sat yeah. there and laughed. I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, really? like something new, you know? Yeah, I just did this yeah, I six mean, months I did ago. This months ago, and, and all I did was, to make it easy, I just said, because uh, she was an excellent singer. I mean, this, this, this woman, right. I don't remember her name, but uh, excellent voice. I, I, I had her do like eight tracks of it, just sing it from top to bottom. And then I sat yeah. there and put it together, you know, and it was great. Right on. We, we were the so, first studio in the city to have a uh, what's called a nonlinear system, which means it's basically recorded digitally on, on a computer-type machine. There was no tape involved. So uh-huh. we were the first one. The machine was made by New England Digital. It was $250,000. And now I have a non-digital on my Mac at uh-huh. home right. you know, with multiple tracks. This, this other machine was an eight-track machine. Ooh, oh, goodness. You know. you know, now I buy the software for, you know, five, sure. six hundred bucks. Easy. Yeah. 
so, um, so that's, that's how it, and then I, I did some jingles. Did, uh, yeah, so let me, this is the part I want to ask you about, because one of the things that we try to cover on the podcast as sensitively as we can is kind of the money side of things, because I don't believe most people know how the business, whether that be the music business or the commercial jingle business or whatever, really works. Obviously, you're not receiving royalty payments of any magnitude from American Noise at this point of your life. But you, uh, you, unfortunately... That's the funniest thing I've heard all day. (laughs) (laughs) Did I get that right? I think maybe I I I did. I think you pretty much... When you stop and think of the amount of money that was invested in the plane flights and the hotel Uh and uh and the recording studio, no, no. No, no. (laughs) In fact, you might even owe them. Yeah. You're going to die and your kids are going to get a bill. (laughs) But things like, you know, you mentioning kind of fleshing out that Ford ad... And I was looking online. You wrote this IX indoor, indoor amusement, amusement park, park commercial. Yeah. So cool, so fun. If you're not here, you're the only one. Call rides inside. Jump upside down. Spin it around. So cool, so fun. What a great place to meet someone. Party on till after dark at the IX indoor amusement park. It's here today, not gonna stay. Twenty-one years it's been running. Goodness, um, I read about that, and everything I read about it was saying what an earworm it was. So I yeah. found it on YouTube, and yes, absolutely, this thing is an <laughs> earworm. Thank you very much. So, so it you've is. got these things, these jingles that play. I mean, that's mailbox money for you, right? Uh, you know, to be, I, I'm trying to be sensitive about it, but that, you get paid annually for this indoor amusement park commercial that you wrote 21 years ago because they continue to use it and use it a lot, right? Well, unfortunately, that was a buyout. Okay, In other words, they paid me, and thank you, goodbye. Theoretically, I could probably go to ASCAP and say, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 yeah. and then get, you know, 59 cents each time they play it or sure, something. Right. I mean, the one that I regret that was a buyout in the beginning because it was a small company and blah, 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 is for the best car insurance rates in town, call 1-800-GENERAL-NOW. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that one plays yeah. everywhere. Now, yeah. that one, uh, unfortunately, I don't even know the ad agency that now has the account. And it's tough yeah. to get a lawyer or anybody interested in finding it. out, you know, hey, I have a couple bucks coming here, you know. So it's difficult. Yeah, you know, I mean, have I done well? Thank God, yeah, I'm okay. Good. You know, I Good. mean, I, I, I live a nice life. I mean, I, I, I have nice home and have nice cars. And, and, and yeah, I, I did well. It was hard. I worked, you know, mm-hmm. I, I always had to stay on top of the technology and everything. And, but, eh, and jingle writing, it's few and far between where, where an, uh, an ad agency comes to you and says, we want a jingle, you mm-hmm. know. A lot of people just using stock music behind this stuff. And uh, Tom Farron from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is our local paper, he did an article on me about the IX Indoor Amusement Park jingle. He said, for my family, it was the right of spring. Because every spring, when you started hearing that jingle, right. we knew, and, and living in an area where we have extreme winters and we have yes. beautiful summers, you know? Yeah. And so you look forward to spring. And 
he said that was kind of like the passage for us. You know, it's a whole generation of children who've listened. I mean, that's 22 years. There's kids yeah. that grew up listening to this thing. Right. And so, I mean, it, 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 it's really nice that I've touched people in that way. And, you know, people will chuckle whenever, oh, yeah, and I wrote the IX Indoor Amusement Park. They chuckle because it's like, oh, I know exactly what that is. You know, I mean, everyone right. knows what that is. You know, I'm quite proud of it. I, I, sure. I, I mean, the guy that sang it is actually Rich Spina's partner, Billy Sullivan, who sings, oh, sure. who's in Herman's Hermits. He's actually the yeah. one who sang that jingle. One of the guys that used to sing harmony for me is now Taylor Swift's guitar player. It's kind of cool. I, I, I got to yeah. work with great people. Like yeah. I said, there is talent in this town. There's no question oh, about totally. it. Well, we got to talk about Eric Carmen. I assume your associations begin because you're both kind of locally on the scene in the early 70s, and then you played on Hungry Eyes. Tell me about how you got into becoming, starting a relationship with Eric, and then tell me about Hungry Eyes. Oh, wow, okay. As I mentioned earlier, uh, in the early 70s, I'm talking about 72 to 74 or 5, uh, I played in a local band called Magic. Mm-hmm. And we were one of the more and more popular bands. I mean, we we packed them in. We were making a living. We had a we actually had like a road crew and a sound system. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we had a truck. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and that's mm-hmm. successful. If you have a truck, damn it, you're successful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right. in the big time. You got a truck. Yeah. We did a Beach Boys medley. Nobody did mm. Beach Boys because of all harmonies. Yeah. And we did them, you know. We played mm-hmm. MacArthur's Park. Oh, we played Gang Bang by Alex Harvey, you know, and which went went over real good at the Catholic schools. Uh, We did a Beatles medley. We did Ichiku Park. We did, I mean, we did these songs that not every other band was like, you know, uh, was doing. We we did Our House, you know, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash. Yeah. You know, with the harmonies and an acoustic guitar, you know. Local rock bands weren't doing that. We were different in that sense. Mm -hmm. The the harmonies were an important part of it. Well, Eric was in the Raspberries at that time, and the Raspberries, you know, they had their success go all the way, which was obviously a big smash. Decided to leave the band, mm-hmm. but he wanted to continue on a solo career. 
And so he thought the best way to do that was get a backup band. And we were his favorite band. Mm. So he literally scooped us up, the whole band. Wow. And said, you will be my backup band. And that's the band that ended up on the first Eric Carmen album. I mean, it was just like, it was, you know, waking up and going, oh, is this how it happens? You know, before you know it, I'm in New York. I'll never forget working on the keyboard parts for the song Never Gonna Fall in Love Again, which is my personal favorite song on that album. And I'm, I'm, I'm playing the keyboard part, and I looked up, and in, and in studios back then, whenever the record button went on, there was a red light that came on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't know if it was to intimidate you. Or, <laughs> I wasn't sure what the red light was for, but it would come on. Say, And I can remember looking at that light in 1975 and going, I have a feeling that I'm going to be hearing this. Uh-huh. For a while. Oh, isn't that great? You know, isn't it I, great I, you remember I distinctly that? remember thinking that and yeah. not realizing, of course, how, you know, God, years later. Yeah. You know, I mean, look at all by myself, all of a sudden, Celine Dion. It's funny because yeah. people say, oh, yeah, now we have, like on, on American Idol, you know, oh, yeah, now we uh-huh. have uh, All by Myself by Celine Dion. And I just, you know, it's like, like no, yeah, that's, no. That's right. You know, I guess <laughs> yeah. so. Which, of yeah. course, she did a wonderful version. Of oh, this. sure, yeah. The key change in the middle was just the killer, you know. But so that's what happened. We went to New York, huh. and uh, we did okay. the album, and all of a sudden we're touring, and I'm on the road, and I'm playing rock star, you know. And, that's um, great. It was really cool. And then the second album came around, and we were going to England to do it. Mm. The producer was Gus Dudgeon, yep. who did all of Elton John's early albums mm-hmm. they had just finished doing blue moves which mm. had the song sorry is the the yeah sorry seems the, to be the hardest word yeah that's yeah. it they had just finished yeah. that album with james newton howard who later on became mm. a great film score yeah. people titanic wow. another celine dion connection yeah oh yeah well we were at that's the marquee we were at yeah. the marquee studio in london with the marquee club right next to it uh, and the Marquee Club was like our Cleveland Agora here, except you, know, you walked into it, and on the wall were these black and white grungy pictures of, like, The Who, David mm-hmm. Bowie, Jimi mm-hmm. Hendrix. I mean, you know, the people that started yeah. there, that played yeah. there, it was just, you know, it, it, you felt it, you know, when you walked in. Yeah, of course, uh, history. 
learned one of the greatest lessons of my life at that bar. I walked up to the bar. I was uh, I had finished my tracks and I and I went over to the the bar and and there was this long-haired, greasy guy with three days growth of beard and a dirty ripped-up T-shirt and jeans. And he comes over and asks me what will I have. And I said, uh, scotch and water. And he looks me dead in the eye and says, don't you ever say please. <laughs> and Is that someone we know? It was this bartender. I mean. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were going to say, and that turned out to no, be. No, 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 no. No, it was this bartender or something that, like that. that, that okay. like, it was really like a shake-up moment going. Sure. Wow, you're right. I'm sorry, man. Please, yeah. can I have a scotch and water? And, of course, they had yeah. that cute English accent, so, of course, it was right. even more intimidating right. or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it was quite an experience because the people there are different than we are here. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, none of those tracks came to fruition. It was all pretty much a waste. And then yeah. Eric came back to Cleveland after that, and the band pretty much dispersed. Hmm. And he went to L.A. and finished the second album. And then when it came time to go on the road, there were actually only two of us that he took with him to tour on the second oh. tour. Were you one of those people? Yes. So uh, we toured. I mean, we were with Hall & Oates. My favorite. It, 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 was, it, it was really good. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, diplomatically speaking, due to health issues, mm. the tour was canceled. Okay? And... Uh, <laughs> That was it. Okay. Uh, done. <laughs> so you did have kind of a rock star moment there. Even if American Noise never quite got, you know, beyond the club circuit, you did play in front of big crowds. Oh, you yeah. You just did it with I Eric Carmen. Okay, good. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, Midnight Special, I mean, that was a big deal. Yeah, know? of course. Um, you know, international TV because, yeah. you know, it, show, it, it actually showed in Europe, you know. Yeah. So do you get any kind of a royalty? I mean, you know, All By Myself and Hungry Eyes, two of his biggest hits. Any kind of like a you know a performance royalty on those songs? I'm stifling the laugh this time. <laughs> you oh boy, really? I guess that's a no. Yeah, you got it. Um, oh no! We were paid musicians. The way they did the contract was we were paid studio guys. Yeah. So we got paid as studio guys. Oh we got no! Paid when we were on the road. No, no, I I never made any money off of that. Hungry eyes. Eric didn't even know that I worked on it. Really? What? <laughs> I would have assumed he was, you know, hey, old friend, um, why don't you come back and do this song with me? 
Eric came to the studio. This was like 85, where I was working, and I was a manager, actually. Okay. And, and they said they wanted to do the tracks there for this Hungry Eyes thing, uh-huh. the Dirty Dancing thing. I'm thinking, Dirty Dancing, what the hell? Are you doing porn movies now? You know. <laughs> I mean, I had, at that time, obviously, you had no idea what that was about. You know, he wanted to know if I wanted to engineer it. And I said, you know, I can't. You want, you want to come in at 8 o'clock at night and go to 4 in the morning. I'm running the studio. I have to be here from 8 to 5, you know, yeah. and deal yeah. with our advertising clients and all that kind of stuff. But I had a protege, a guy named Jim Demain, who is now in Nashville and has a very nice mastering lab and doing very well mm-hmm. with that. Okay. Uh, Jim Demain engineered it. I said, this, is, this guy is going to do a great job for you. And so, you know, it went on, and they did it, and they did the mix, and they sent the mix out. And the, the movie people and the investors weren't totally happy with it. They said, well, we like the song. We like the fact that Eric's doing it. And Eric did not write that song. It was Frankie Previtt from Frankie and the Knockouts. He wrote that? Yes. I didn't um, realize that. Yeah, so it's not, it, I mean, Eric made it popular. Right, of course. So what happened then was I got a call from the head of Vestron Pictures, which was the company that was doing um, the movie. Mm-hmm. And the head of Vestron Pictures happened to be Jim Yiner, who produced the first Eric Carmen album. Uh, so he knew me, okay? Interesting, okay. And Jimmy said, look, we need you to go in the studio and fix this. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He says, it's just not right. And we think you might be able to shed a, a new fresh light on it. And he said, just close the door, lock the door and have at it. Really? So I went in and I made a copy, a transfer, you know, we had two 24 track machines. I just made a transfer and I started bouncing parts, <laughs> racing uh-huh. parts and, I redid all the bells to the bong, dong, dong, uh-huh, all that. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a guitar chunk thing that goes through the whole song that I redid on a synthesizer plugged through a guitar amp. Wow. Uh, I redid all the cymbals because it was, if you remember in those days, they had what's called a Lindrum machine, which was like the uh-huh. first drum machine. Sure. So the cymbals were, eh, they were expressionless. So I okay. kind of, I redid them manually on a, on a keyboard. And then there's a wash that goes throughout the, the, the verses, uh, synthesizer wash that I did on my Prophet 5 that kind of envelops the background. Uh-huh. I sped it up probably a half key to make it move along a little better. And then when I was done, I sent a, 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 a rough mix to Jimmy Einer, And he said, okay, I'll be there tomorrow to mix it. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And he came and, you know, we mixed it. Eric had never heard it until it, it was in the movie. Yeah. Wow. Of course, oh I didn't my God. say anything. <laughs> I, so you didn't, I mean, you could have you could have arguably fought for some kind of like an arrangement credit or, yeah. any, you know, something, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And little did you know that that thing would sell, you know, a bazillion copies or whatever. Oh, yeah, I have a seven times platinum on my wall. Uh, you know, I, I, and it's, it's actually it went to eleven. So if yeah. I if I had the funds, I'd buy the eleven times. But yeah. those things are expensive to purchase. So yeah, no kidding. 
it's it's a feather in my cap. I mean, yeah, I, I'm happy yeah. I did it. You know, uh, yeah. I'm glad I was able to to you know make make the song happen. I don't want to take full Good. credit for it at all. But, sure, I mean, of course. Definitely, definitely was a feather in my cap. Are the health issues possibly what has kept Eric Carmen basically out of the spotlight for the last 20 years? Do you think? I heard another podcast that was talking about him about a year ago. I think he sang a song or released one song or single on his website or something, and it was pretty good. His voice sounded a little ragged, as most do when they get older. But is that? Do you think there might be some correlation there? Trying to be tactful. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it here. The second album, which was a failure, um, uh, Eric's second album, uh, was was ranked as one of the most expensive albums next to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Oh, wow. Okay. So a lot of money went into that. So people weren't overly excited about working with him, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, like, there are things like um, that people don't know that Eric, like, Almost Paradise, Almost Paradise. Mm-hmm. He was Pretty co-writer close. on that. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I don't I think mean, I knew that either. Yeah, see, he had, he did have success in writing. Okay. He never really had another stage thing going on uh, until um, a number of years ago they did a Raspberry reunion. Oh. And that was, that was a, they, they actually toured a little bit. Oh, good. Um, okay. And once again, Billy Sullivan played in that. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. The stage thing didn't really happen again for him. Okay. Um, but he's probably had, uh, you know, a small handful of big enough hits to allow him to live comfortably all these years, but also be maybe a little reclusive? Well, all by myself, I mean, that was recorded by Frank Sinatra. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the number of people that recorded that song, you know, yeah. that alone you know, right. made him some money. I mean, he's, he's, he's a well-to-do gentleman. You know, there's no yeah. question about it. He's, Okay. As a writer, though, he—I mean—and and I have to take this time to say that he's probably one of the most talented musicians, uh, writer-type mm. people I've ever met. Interesting. Okay. There's no question about it. He was—he uh, uh, is uh, just a wonderful writer, and, and yeah. knows how to take a melody and, and make it happen, and make it poppy, and make it—you know. Um, I mean, go all the way with something he wrote, and that that was a big hit. It showed up in that movie just recently, The Galaxy. You know, Guardians of the there. Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and yeah, yeah. And, it, and there was a resurgence there of the raspberry. Yeah. I mean, one of a, one of his favorite pictures is a photo of uh, John Lennon wearing a raspberry's T-shirt. How cool is that? You know. Yeah. No kidding. I don't think the situation helped at all mm. in his mm-hmm. career, and it was a, it was quite a climb for him to at least to gain some notoriety again. I mean, he yeah. did tour with Ringo's band. He did do that. So, I mean, he's known in the industry. Totally, yeah. You know, because, I mean, he... He still has name recognition. Exactly. Pretty high rate name recognition. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, you know, there's no whimpering and saying, oh, poor Eric. You know? No, definitely not. <laughs> he's definitely done not. quite well, you know. So i got to ask you just two, two more questions that I ask almost everybody. What is your favorite memory of your career? 
and you've done a lot, and so I'm wondering, you know, that could be anything, maybe hearing something you wrote on the radio or one of those to- shows with Eric <laughs> Carmen or whatever. I don't know. Okay. And then what would be your biggest regret? I thought this was going to be like the actor studio where you're going to ask me, what's my favorite swear word? <laughs> I was we can do that to too. Ask, you know? <laughs> um, right. Uh, um, as far as my favorite memory, and this is this is kind of, yeah, okay, this is my favorite memory, only because it's just so weird. I was uh-huh. at a party in L.A., and this was during the American Noise time, and I don't remember if it was when we were doing the album or when we were doing the auditions, but I was at a party at someone's house, and I went wandering in the kitchen, and I was looking for a beer or something, you know, and this guy stumbles in, this long-haired, beard, big mustache guy, you know, uh-huh. and uh, he, he kind of stumbles in, and we both nod at each other, you know, how you'd... Back then, you know, you just kind of not, hey, man. Didn't say anything, though. He holds up a joint, you know, like, hey, man, you want to smoke this? But, of course, nothing was said. Uh-huh. And I nodded my head. And uh-huh. so we sat down at the kitchen table, and he, he lit it up. And, you know, and, of course, you know, after after the hit, you, you kind of sit there and look at each other go, you know, nod your head and go, yeah, uh-huh. good stuff, you know. And so, you know, we smoked the joint. He gets up from the table, gives me a little wave, and walks out of the room. So I just split a joint with Skunk Baxter. Is that who that was? Oh, yes. And, I mean, I didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. But I just split a joint with Skunk Baxter. That is killer. It it was killer. It was just really, you know, because, I mean. Yes. Here's one of the great guitar players of our time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know his his the stuff he did with synthesizers and guitar. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Was very innovative at the time, but it was cool. I mean, how how cool is that? You know, that is so unique. That not very many people. Well, who knows? Actually, I was going to say not many people have that could tell that story. Who knows how much potty smokes? But still, that's got to be a big, that's got to be a big impressionable moment for you. That's awesome. I love that. Cool. I, and, and the, I think the whole thing is that we had this whole conversation without saying a word. We, you know, yes, uh, yes. I mean, it was, it was really like, it was very cool moment. That is uh, great. Now what was the other? What was the other? The regrets. The regret. What's your biggest regret? Is there something that if it had just been tweaked slightly? Who knows? Fortunes would have been different. Life would have been different, better, potentially. Who knows? I guess I'm fairly lucky. I mean, mm, I, Good. Okay. I, I, I really, I, you know, I've always reinvented myself. I mean, yeah. I mean, I actually do. I, you know, not only do I engineer now and write jingles and do arrangements for, you know, uh, for, for uh, people who, like, singers who want, like, original music behind them, and mm-hmm. they come in with a song, I'll do arrangements for it, and you know, somebody have a karaoke song and they just want to record it and hear what they sound like. And, right. You know, I, I get to do that kind of stuff. I'm doing voiceovers now, which is fun. You know, I'm enjoying yeah. that. Good. Um, so I've, I've always had to reinvent myself as time goes on. You know, being a, a 63-year-old audio engineer, it's kind of tough to walk into an advertising agency and go, oh, sure. well, here I am, I'm going to save your man. day. I'm your man. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, your man. Too. Sit down, yeah. Grandpa. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's difficult. And, but although my clients, you know, I, I still do a lot of corporate work. Small clients like, you know, Sherwin-Williams, Burger King, Aspen right. Dental, uh, okay. Ernst & Young, you know. Yeah. I sent you the, the one thing I wrote for the Cleveland Clinic.
was beautiful. Oh, there's, there's a good story. This, this, oh, this, cool. This, Tell this, me. This is fun. Yeah, I wrote this thing for the Cleveland Clinic, and it was really, uh, it was a lot of fun because there was no voice in it. It's mm-hmm. just, it's actors or, or patients, and my music. You know, it did very well. I, actually, uh, I won a. It's a been Cannes. viewed like a million something times on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it won a Cannes Corporate Media Award last year from oh, you know, wow. Cannes Festival in, over in nice. uh, France, I guess. So, one day, uh, my brother, who I, I had mentioned earlier, passed away, mm-hmm. who lived mm-hmm. in L.A. He lived in Anaheim. His daughter, who now lives in Vancouver and has a corporate job, she writes to me and she says. So I'm in this meeting, and they, they, they put this motivational film on mm-hmm. called Empathy. And so we watched mm-hmm. this thing. It was really nice. She said it was really heartwarming, and the music was really cool. And she said then at the end, when the credits came up, I screamed out, that's my uncle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. You know, in, in Vancouver, yes. Canada. You know, Isn't and, that and crazy? Because it had, it, it, as a motivational thing, uh, Basically, what the, for those out there who haven't seen it, basically it's it's a story of when let's say you're in an elevator, you really don't know the mindset of the people around you. Like the guy next to you could, he may have just found out he just had cancer, or right, his wife right. may have just had a baby, or he just finished yeah. a divorce, or you know you don't know exactly where people's heads are, so you have to be somewhat empathetic yeah. to the people around you, it's and, and, and it's quite a lesson to be learned, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially when driving in a parking mall. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I mean, Very there's way true, too many yeah. salutes that happen in a parking uh, mall. Let's uh, that. Salutes, that's a good way of putting yeah. it, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it just happens. But um, yeah. uh, having, having my uh, niece like that write to me and say, oh, my God, it was my, it's my Uncle George, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. Good story. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, George, for talking to me. I really, really appreciate it. I I grew to become very interested and curious about you and the band. It's so good, and you're right, it's a missed opportunity. But it sounds like that was, over the course of your career, that was a small, a relatively small blip. I mean, it's unfortunate that it didn't turn out to more, but you've managed to move on and make a perfectly great career for yourself after that. So I'm really happy for you. Well, I think I, what you've done is great. It. I appreciate it. it I, 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 with the grace of God, I definitely have been very lucky and fortunate, and I'm still alive and still kicking. And still doing it. What is your very favorite band or singer? Ooh, I don't ask time, that, and huh? I probably should. Yeah. I mean, that's what's fun to talk about when you talk about music. What's your number one? What's your favorite artist or singer? That's, that's difficult because there's there's yeah. different people for different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, I was a big yes freak for for years. Oh, excellent! Because because of all, the, I mean, the, the complexity of their music, and I, you know, it's always fun to have someone who you look up to as, as a mentor, you know. And yeah, I I, I can't play that stuff. <laughs> I mean, right, I, right. I'm a good keyboard player, but you know, Rick Wakeman was just like. Get out of here. Amazing, you know? amazing. Uh, things like that. You're I mean, in Cleveland. You should hop over to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and tell them they're complete idiots <laughs> for not putting yes in there. Uh, the, the, actually, the, the talk that was given the other night was very interesting as to how they determine who gets uh, put in. And, uh, like, why all of a sudden yeah. Chicago got put in. Well, that should have been in there. I mean, should have been whether you're a Chicago fan or not, they are important 
in American rock. Oh, without so, a doubt, without yeah. a doubt, and and yeah. But it, it, you know, but and we're going back to the other thing. It's it's so difficult because uh, yeah. I mean, I was just listening to a Sean Colvin song today. Mm. What a beautiful mm. voice, you know. And you're yes. thinking, oh my God, and Adele. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, the way she handled the the the, the, the Grammy situation with yeah. the mic falling in the piano, you know. Yes, is that I mean, what that was? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. What had happened was when they lifted the Steinway onto the stage, the mic had fallen, so that every oh. time he was in the middle C area where the mic was yeah. laying, that's what the rattling was. I wondered. Yeah, okay. and, and, I mean, she heard it, obviously. You couldn't not hear it. Yeah. And, but she got all the way through that song without, like, you know, yeah. I mean, with, without giving us a Kanye West, you know. Exactly. <laughs> She's got such grace. Well, thank you, George. This was fun. I've been wanting to talk to you for like six months, and I'm so glad we did it because uh, these were good stories. I really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. I'm glad to do it. You know, I, I think I think it's a cool thing that you're doing because, I mean, there are a lot of guys out there who who deserve a pat on the back that, that exactly. probably just didn't get it, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, and I want to hear those stories. I've been fortunate that between, uh, like I said, between my wife and my dog, anything else is a bonus. There you have it, George Sipple. Interesting, right? And how about that story about his niece, right? Is that amazing? That actually kind of choked me up a little bit. I, I can't imagine anything more beautiful. And let's be honest about this. That guy has thankfully and luckily been very successful. He totally deserves it. But he deserves, I think, a little bit more. I mean, imagine you write a jingle that's been played for 25 years, is known to everybody, but you don't see really any money from that. And Hungry Eyes becomes this gigantic hit, and you don't really see any money from it. It's kind of tragic. Luckily, he's made that up in other places. I thought he was a super fascinating guy, and if there is ever a band that deserves to get discovered in greater detail, it's the American Noise album. Good luck finding it, but it deserves to be heard. Also, huge thanks to Rich Spina, former guest of the show, for connecting me to George. If it wasn't for Rich, this probably wouldn't have happened. So thank you, Rich, if you're listening. All right, everybody, find us on iTunes, and please subscribe to the podcast. If you like stories like this about the littler guys, the unsung guys, the guys you don't hear as much about, please subscribe and please write us a review while you're there. Please like our Facebook page. You can stay in contact with us that way. You can send me messages on there. If there are bands that you'd like me to track down for you, bands that you love that you haven't heard from for a long time, Find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. You can send me an email through uh, at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can like a playlist that we keep on YouTube. Just type in The Hustle Podcast Playlist. Also, huge thanks to Jan Makevich for producing this and every other podcast. We love him a lot. Everybody, come back next week. It is our first birthday. And to celebrate, we have a very important guest. If you have listened to the show from the beginning, you will know why this guest is so significant. So we hope to see you next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>